Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolf. We are coming to you from the Public School Forum's annual event, Eggs and Issues, and have with us some spectacular guests to discuss the top issues surrounding education across our state. We are absolutely thrilled to be joined by Emma Battle, J.B. Buxton, Renee Cavan, Eugenia Floyd, Dale Jenkins, and Joshua Webb. Each and every one of them bring critical perspectives to this discussion and many different experiences that help us understand why investments in public education are critical for North Carolina's children, families, and the economy. I'm so excited to kick this off um, and welcome to each and every one of you. Why are investments in public education critical for North Carolina's children, families, and economy now and for the future? North Carolina public schools are the key to providing innovative and transformational leaders. Without such an investment, our state will fall behind the rest of the world when it comes to innovation and global competitiveness. We are a growing state with public schools in some counties considered strong, but weak in other counties. The strong areas are attracting jobs, investment, and growth. In less strong areas, we see population loss, lower wages, and even health disparities. This must not persist. While all of North Carolina's children must be able to compete on the global stage, why stop there? Why not prepare a pipeline of diverse, well-educated, thoughtful, innovative, transformational leaders? It all starts with strong investment in early childhood education so that every four-year-old will be proficient in third grade reading. Our students have to have the ability, the knowledge and skills when they leave high school to be able to move into the workforce, if that's a choice, and be able to make family sustaining wages and support families. They have to have this knowledge and skills to move on, whether it's a community college or a university or both and succeed to move on. And they've got to have the knowledge and skills to be active participants and knowledgeable participants in our democracy. Now, how we get there is clearly an issue of debate, but the standard is very clear for what we're trying to do in our public education system. And I think that's the debate in Leandro is you can't debate the standard. That's what the express will of the people is and our laws of our state. And when you think about the investments then that we have to make, they're also not that complicated in aggregate. You're either going to invest in great people, you're going to invest in great learning environments, or you're going to invest in the technologies. What becomes clear is those aren't year-to-year -year decisions. Those aren't, uh, I think this year we're going to make some investments in our people, but we might take a year off next year. I worked for a governor many years ago who talked in tough times about children were not perishable commodities that could sit on a shelf and wait for better times. I think we're in that moment now. We, we don't wait for better times to make the investments we think we need. We have said as a people, we got a clear standard for where we want our children to be when they finish our high school so they have options and opportunity. And that takes sustained focus and investments. We have an accountability system that tells us if we're getting there and where we need to make choices. And so the robust debate about how we invest in those three relatively clear areas, people, learning environments, the technologies, the debate about which investments, that's a good debate. Whether to make the investments, whether we've got clear standards for it, 
That's not a debate. When you're attracting new employers, especially those who are committed to um, the community, I think that's um, you know a great place for us to think about how education attracts large employers. Um, the other piece of that that comes with it is is we don't want to have to recruit from other places, so we need strong candidates here in North Carolina to take on um, the jobs that we're bringing here. If we don't have the right talent, and and what have you. Obviously, we have to go outside of the state, and that's not what we want to do. It's why we moved our headquarters here. So just be thinking about the importance there. It, it's interesting because I've heard a lot about workforce development, which tends to um, have an investment in folks that might not still be in the educational system. But I would argue that we all, as um, business leaders, need to think about um, the K through 12. If we start getting to the root of problem, which is that early childhood education, you know, it gives us that sustained growth for the future. And hopefully we won't have to worry as much about workforce development because we started early. We've got the opportunity to help businesses, large businesses, there's lots of, lots of headquarters here, not just banks, um, be able to really invest in this community and really invest in the state because we've created a workforce that's ready to go. The job of anyone involved in education is to provide resources and break down barriers. And when we are fully focused on doing those two things, equitable opportunities will be provided to all 1.5 million North Carolina public school students. And if you didn't know, the pandemic taught you that schools play a critical role in the landscape and the function of every community in our state. And now it's up to us as a society and as a community to decide, well, what are we going to do with this information? If we know that schools are providing essential meals, social emotional support, and also teaching children, then we need to support them now more than ever. Our schools are pouring into our community and our communities have to thus pour back into them. We as educators cannot pour from an empty cup. We definitely need to make bold moves because at the end of the day, we're talking about children. And as a classroom teacher and anyone else in the field of education, I don't work for anyone else but the kids. And that will always be my sole focus in the work that I do. As an individual, you can't reach your potential unless you receive a proper education. If the individual isn't reaching their potential, how does an organization reach its potential? And then how does a state reach its potential? So we begin with this foundation of education that really drives everything when you think about it. So in uh, education, in many ways, is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, it is one of those things that can't be taken away from you. If you receive a quality education, it stays with you for life. And like many things, which can be transient, you can lose them, you can, you can forget them. But education is one of those things that was is a benefit for life. It helps lift kids and families out of poverty. It gives them hope and opportunity for the future. Um, and it is one of those things which is, I just think, vitally important for our society. You know, in North Carolina, it's institutional right uh, to have a sound basic education. But the issue comes in when, we're, when our children are fighting for that right. Like our children are not supposed to be fighting for their rights. It is up to the adults in our community. 
It is up to the principals, the superintendents, the assistant principals, and especially the classroom teacher, the person that has that direct link uh, with our students in, in our education system. And, you know, I think investments are so important in our children because invest in our schools, we're literally investing in the, uh, the North Carolina of tomorrow. We are investing in our America tomorrow. We're investing in highly qualified individuals who are going to the community and generate change, stimulate our economy. And also just to touch on a little bit of early childhood education. When I went to preschool, I can uh, count on, the, on my fingers how many um, black teachers I had, and it was two. Um, the fact that there are not enough diverse individuals in early childhood education, making sure that kids see someone who looks like them when they walk into a school is so important. It changes the game. What do you think are the most important investments and some potential solutions to address them? Educators are not going to wait for anyone to help them meet the needs of the kids that are right in front of you right in front of them. And I think we just heard Joshua say that, that you have a direct link to these kids right now. And our kids can't wait. They are going to keep teaching and they're going to keep working with whatever they have. But when I see teachers driving buses before school and after school, because they got to get the kids to the building, we also have to be reminded and being mindful of the things that those educators are not doing. They aren't planning, they're not able to grade, they're not able to have conferences, they're even not even able to get the professional development that they need to continue to grow in their craft if we're doing things like driving buses. These are the things that lead to burnout. Those are the things that make us even feel discouraged in our field because we know that our kids need so much more from us. So I truly believe bold moves need to be made in order to support our school staff. And I want the thousands of people that support kids every day to have the tools to their success so that I as an educator and all my educator colleagues can give kids the tools to their success. We don't have enough teachers who are staying in our counties. We are not retaining teachers. We're not being able to keep teachers uh, here. We have to figure out a way to keep teachers in counties. And I think, I think a main problem is teacher pay. Teachers also are not making a, 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 enough to attract them to this career. You know, we look at nurses or we look at other careers and they go, oh, that's a lot of money. We're going to go over there. But if we can raise our teacher pay, it's going to attract highly qualified people who are going to want to come uh, back and stay in their counties. To me, it's kind of time for early college 2.0, where we're not talking about bricks and mortar institutions. We're talking about pathways that all students in our high schools can begin moving on sooner. I'd like to see many more students begin their journey into their next steps earlier, begin getting credentials and degrees earlier. I mean, we, we can do so many more accelerated degrees and credentials that then just open up possibilities. But what recommendations do you have for our state leaders to ensure that our K through 12 schools and our higher education um, systems are equipped to prepare students to thrive in decades to come? Don't rob from Peter to pay Paul. Don't use public money to fund private vouchers. It only weakens the public schools and leads to even more education silos fund Leandro. It's the right thing to do and a smart investment that will yield diverse 
well-educated, thoughtful, innovative, transformational leaders for North Carolina and for the world. I can't believe that people's hair isn't, this just should be on fire because we are not getting the results we should be getting. And so we need businessmen and women to engage, to get engaged in their local schools, to start thinking about things like apprenticeship programs, internship programs. So the bottom line for me is to get engaged, to understand the issues and try to make a difference in your local communities. We will continue this conversation. We so appreciate it. But also this notion of lifting up all of these voices is critical to the forum, but it's also critical to each and every one of these discussions. Thank you for being here. Stay tuned for our next panel of guests after the break. Welcome back to Education Matters. Hosting the next discussion is Lauren Fox, Senior Director of Policy and Research at the Forum. Trey, you're one of our state's promising future educators, and we're so excited to have you here today. I have a two-part question for you. First, could you tell us what inspired you to become an educator? And also, what about the state of the teaching profession in North Carolina today has given you or your colleagues pause when considering whether to enter the field? I have a deep well of gratitude for teacher cadet because it really set me on the track that I have been on um, since I was a junior in high school, and the program was really uh, invaluable. The things that we're most concerned about or that I think that me and my colleagues really uh, worry about are these systemic issues that um, make the teaching profession historically difficult. And, you know, it's hard to go to a four-year university and choose to make less money than your peers. You know, we ask our teachers to sacrifice a lot, and it's a hard choice whenever you're a young um, 20-year-old, even still a teenager, to choose to make sacrifices for the rest of your life, you know, and we shouldn't be asking our teachers to do that. There's no reason that we have to ask our teachers to do that. Um, what we need is a uh, concerted effort from our politicians to support our public schools. The other thing that has really become a big issue in recent years, especially um, in the past year and a half, I would say for sure, is the awareness of um, us as university students of the rising public vitriol for our public schools and our public teachers. Never have I seen um, on the news or in the media pe uh, public teachers being vilified for teaching. That's not an exciting prospect to choose to enter an environment where um, you're subjugating yourself to lower pay and um, guaranteeing that you're going to be coming into direct confrontation with um, parents and maybe even colleagues who are misinformed about the work that we do and the things that we um, that we teach our children. Could you talk about what the workforce crisis looks like in your school? What we're finding in, in Brunswick County, and it's a statewide issue, not even a $5,000 or more in some districts hiring incentive, a competitive local supplement, and even living at the beach um, can draw in applicants when there is simply not an applicant pool or the applicant pool has been dried up. Back in 2011, when the General Assembly defunded the Teaching Fellows Program before reinstating a scaled down version of it in 2017, our state lost out on the opportunity to invest in nearly 600 future teachers. And of course, I'm certainly encouraged by what we've talked about already this morning with the progress towards rebuilding and expanding Teaching Fellows to three new campuses. Um, but it's still gonna take some time to recover from the loss um, our workforce suffered um, during that time of, of defunding. Liliana, can you talk about some of the challenges that you and other educators have been facing this year, particularly in light of the pandemic? 
I have to say is the academic gap our students show in their performance in core areas. Um, our risk students, um, above all our minority students, black, yellow, economically disadvantaged students have definitely received the collateral impact since they keep trying to move forward with their grade level uh, and academic expectations, but it's very hard for, our, for us to meet their gap. And we are trying to work in order to tailor our teaching in order to meet that gap and narrow it. Elena, as a principal, can you talk about how the workforce crisis in our schools impacts our students? So first, let's consider how the workforce crisis impacts our children, which is absolutely the most important and critical impact. There is no debate in the research about the effect that a high-performing teacher has on a child's education. It is the single greatest impact on a child's learning inside the school building. And because we know that is true, we know that when a child doesn't have a high-performing teacher, the child's education suffers and is negatively impacted, and not just in the short term, but in the long term. And in particular, it's important that we know that our most vulnerable children attend schools disproportionately affected by the workforce crisis. We know that schools serving higher proportions of children living in poverty have higher teacher absentee rates, higher teacher turnover, and higher percentages of beginning teachers and non-licensed teachers. This workforce crisis greatly jeopardizes our constitutional responsibility to provide a sound basic education. Kathy, your work um, with school and district leaders across the Southeast allows you to see these issues on a larger scale. So could you talk about what challenges as well as what opportunities you see in your work? We know that there is a commitment to the work. Are there challenges? Yes, there will always be challenges. In the Southeast region, we have had at least five years of dealing with interrupted instruction for our teachers, our school leaders, and our students. If we go back to Hurricane Florence, where we had over 40 days of students out of school, we learned a lot about how to do things differently. We then went from that, before we could fully recover, we went right into COVID. And now, starting and going in through this school year, Principals, teachers, superintendents will tell you, this has probably been one of the most difficult years. I sent a little message out this morning to one of my um, dear people. It says, one of the major keys to success is to keep moving forward on the journey, making the best of the detours and interruptions, turning adversity into advantage. I think we all have an opportunity today and moving forward to do that type of work it does require some level of systemic change. And systemic change does not come from one individual, it will come from many. This will be sprint advice or thoughts about what the most promising solutions that you see in the works right now or that you would like to see. Let's get those high school students who are interested in teaching entered into a pathway or into an early college, uh, cooperative innovative high school to start taking those college courses tuition free. That reduces debt for those graduates as well as gets them into the teaching field more quickly. So I would say that's a promising practice for sure. Many, many folks that I'm, I know of are very interested in teaching, but don't necessarily have the capacity uh, financially or otherwise to move 
and um, be at a university as a resident student. So let's think of ways to lift up those grow your own opportunities. And of course, with the community college system, uh, every North Carolinian is within 30 minutes of a community college. So we would certainly suggest that that is a, a great opportunity. Let's get folks entered soon and get them into a, a program, again, lifting up the community college system as a high quality affordable option for those that wanna enter the field of teaching uh, and transfer to the senior institution to finish that licensure program. How much, when I was going through the education system, while in high school and college, having an opportunity to learn about what's going on in the real world helped me to become the person I am today. And so as much as we possibly can is to get our children connected with businesses through Apprenticeship North Carolina, and then also maybe creating externships for teachers during the summer to come and learn about what's happening in the business community and perhaps have a couple of aha moments. So when you hear us talking about these think tanks, the white papers that I spoke of, we will start having the kind of common language that we all need so that we can be addressing the issues that we're facing going forward, which I see as nothing but a horde of opportunities. Our great opportunity, particularly at the state legislative level, is that there is a shared understanding of the crisis that we are, are really in. And in that shared understanding is opportunity to make progress. So I think educators, um, as was said, many have been sounding the alarm. Well, the alarm bells are now like ringing very loudly. This is never not coming up as an issue that we have to address. And there is opportunity in that. Uh, like we have business leaders talking about the importance of the teaching workforce. And like, that's not what was happening in some ways 15 and 20 years ago. So to me, that's our greatest opportunity at the state level is that we have more broad understanding of, of the increased crisis that we are in, which I hope we can funnel to productive action. Teach NC is something that we haven't really touched on um, as much, but it is something that we were able to come in in the budget and, and support and fund. Uh, again, the work that's going on in teaching fellows uh, that we are continuing to look at um, and what's working. And I do believe when I last asked uh, towards the end of the year last year, I mean, their projected fund balance was close to $13 million. So I'm excited about the amount of opportunity uh, that's been able, uh, that we're still able to do in that space. And again, if you're shortage of math teachers, again, the concerted and effort towards the, those STEM areas, um, hopefully will help, um, you know, fill those needs and meet and fill some of those gaps a bit as we move forward too. I would just encourage everyone too, to, as we dig in, to look at what programs are really making an impact and then how can we come in and really further support those too. And it takes a lot of work and it takes time. So, you know, continued um, just patience across the board. But again, I think really being thoughtful about what programs are really working in this space and whatnot. Um, will be helpful and just continue to maximize our taxpayer dollars. I know we focus on intentionality through increased partnership and collaboration, um, because when we do that, that's when we get that's when we get our best results. Because those are this is a key equity issue, uh, and in order to address those inequities, we must do things uh, in a collaborative way and bring all voices to the table. The thing that we're most 
passionate about is creating spaces to elevate educator voice, to inform policy changes, initiatives, and safe spaces for educators to engage and learn from each other, to provide built-in support and solutions during a generational pandemic that many of us have never uh, experienced before uh, and most likely will never experience again. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today and we'll see you next week.